Namaskar. Most Indians have heard of the controversy at Ayodhya. They know that a temple was destroyed to make way for Babri Masjid. But beyond that, they have a very hazy idea of the intricacies of the dispute. That means that they are not aware of the way a handful of historians, politicians and religious leaders have manipulated this whole dispute and uh, uh, not allowed a resolution of this issue to take place. Now, so that means that we need to be aware of the way this dispute has been distorted by principally left academics supported by some politicians and religious leaders. Since the time the controversy broke out in the 1990s, the left historians have tried to deny the centrality of Ram and Valmiki Ramayan in the Indian scheme of things. So, they have said that they have, what have they tried to do? They have said that Valmiki Ramayan is not the most important Ramayan. They have projected Buddhist and Jain Ramayans as counters to Valmiki Ramayan and they have said that Ram worship itself was an 18th, 19th century phenomenon. All these points that they have made can be refuted on the basis of work done by Sanskrit scholars. According to these scholars, the Ram Katha or the story of Ram was being recited orally several centuries before the Christian era. And they say that Valmiki also wrote his Ramayana several centuries before the common era. Valmiki in his Ramayana says that his work was also recited orally by the sons of Ram. So why does he say this? Perhaps it is paying tribute to an ancient tradition of extolling the life of Ram. So this is the first point that I would like to make. The popularity of Ramayana can be judged by the fact that there are over 25 renditions of Ramayana in Sanskrit alone. And if we count the vernacular, Ramayana has been told in the vernacular so many times. According to Father Kamil Bulke, there are at least 300 versions of the Ramayana in the various languages. But Valmiki Ramayana is the oldest and the most authoritative version. All other versions derive from Valmiki Ramayana. There is a, a Sanskrit scholar, V. S. Suktankar. He compiled the critical edition of the Mahabharata. And he said the Ramayana was already known as an ancient work before the Mahabharata assumed its present form. So that is the extent of the antiquity of the Ramayana and the popularity of the Ramayana. Now, in the 2nd century AD, there is a, uh, a Buddhist writer, Kumar Lata. He talks about public recitation of the Ramayana. So, 
as early as the 2nd century AD, we have reference to the public recitation of the Ramayana. Now, the importance of the Ramayana in Indian civilization has been emphasized by many religious leaders, public thinkers through the ages. And what is the Ramayana? It is a manual of morals. It is to instruct a people in right conduct and right values. It is a national code. Ram is the exemplar of Dharma. Now, the message of the Ramayana, it is a new message of the heroic and the godly in human relations. R. C. Dutt in 1899, before he was going to address the Lahore session of the Indian National Congress, he wrote an English edition of the Ramayana for the benefit of Western scholars. And in this he said, the Ramayana gives us a true picture of Hindu faith and righteous life. In India, the Ramayana is still a living tradition and a living faith. It forms the basis of the moral instructions of a nation and is part of the life of hundreds of millions of people. See Raja Gopalachari. He wrote a version of the Ramayana. It went into the second edition within six months of its publication. In the preface, he said, one could not understand Hindu dharma unless one knew Ram, Sita, Bharat, Lakshman, Kumbhkaran, Hanuman. He appealed to the youth to read the Ramayana and the Mahabharat. He said, there is not a page after reading which one would not emerge with greater courage, stronger will and purer mind. He said the Ramayana is the record of the mind and spirit of our forefathers who cared for good ever so much more than for the pleasant. Sri Arvindu said the work of Valmiki has been an agent of incalculable power in molding the cultural mind of India. And Mahatma Gandhi, we all know for Mahatma Gandhi, Swaraj meant Ramraj. So, now, very early on, we find scenes of the Ramayana depicted in art. The first art depiction of the Ramayana is a terracotta from the 2nd century BCE. It shows Ravan carrying away Sita and Sita is shown throwing down her ornaments, hoping that that will help somebody to find her. So, this is the first depiction of a scene from the Ramayana, 2nd century BC. Now, you know that every piece of art has not survived all these centuries, but this is one that has survived and it gives us some idea of the popularity of the Ramayana. Because why would somebody depict a scene from the Ramayana in art unless it was a popular theme? Then the next evidence that we have in art is from the 2nd, 3rd century AD. It is a seal from Kashmir Smast and it has in Brahmi Ram Siya written on it. And the most interesting is a small terracotta piece that is now in a museum in America. It shows Ram with a quiver full of arrows at his back 
and on his skirt the word ram is written so these are three early depictions of scenes from the ramayan which tell us that it was quite widely known very early in our history then when temples begin to be made we find full scenes of the ramayana depicted in temples what is important for us is that in the 12th century three huge temples were built exclusively devoted to ram the oldest of these temples was at ayodhya which we will discuss a little later the second one was at rajim district in madhya pradesh and the third was also uh, constructed in the 12th century by a feudatory of the tripuris kalachuris of tripuri all these three temples devoted to ram had inscriptions on them the ayodhya inscription i will discuss later the inscriptions at the raipur temple and at the second temple built by malay singh are still there but these two inscriptions are not mentioned in any debate and discussion by left historians why because they say that ram worship was only an 18th 19th century phenomenon so every evidence which is countering their view they ignore so i have mentioned the earliest depiction of ramayan scene second century before christ and three temples in the 12th century with the inscriptions of them there now i will come straight to the temple at ayodhya we all know that it was destroyed by babar this was not the only temple that this was not the only mosque that babar built in india babar built three mosques in india and the location of all the three mosques was very significant the first mosque that he built was at panipat why did he build at panipat because that was the site that marked his victory over the lodi dynasty and made him the master of large part of north india so the mosque at panipat it is still there the second mosque that he built was at sambhal now why at sambhal there was a temple at sambhal already there and sambhal according to hindu tradition is the place where the last avatar of vishnu will be born the kalki avatar so hindus believe that kalki avatar will be born in a place called sambhal and there was a temple at sambhal babar ordered his general to destroy that temple and there the mosque was built on his orders the inscription on the mosque clearly says that it was built on the orders of babar and pieces of the temple can be found used in the mosque site now the point is that babar does not mention that he destroyed temple so if he does not mention the ayodhya temple that doesn't mean anything because he does not mention the mosque at sambhal 
and he visited sambal after the mosque was created but even then in his autobiography babar nama he does not mention it and it is very interesting that abul fazl the official historian of akbar he writes that sambal was a very important site for the hindus but he does not mention that the temple was destroyed by babar similarly abul fazl writes that somnath was a very dear place for the hindus but he does not mention that somnath had also been destroyed by the turks so these are the three mosques that uh, babar builds now what is the evidence that we have literary evidence of the mosque being destroyed at ayodhya the temple being destroyed sorry there are a large number of histories that were written in the 18th and 19th centuries in arabic persian and lastly in urdu not one of these histories says that babri masjid was built on vacant land all the persian arabic urdu histories written in the 18th and 19th centuries clearly say that babar ordered the destruction of the ram temple and then ordered a mosque to be built at that site not one book says otherwise i'm talking about arabic persian and urdu sources and uh, many scholars have listed these sources there is one particular book that i would like to refer to it is called the tarikh e avdhi it was written in 1869 but was published in 1969 about 100 years later the person who wrote this book was an eye witness he lived in the reign of the last nawab of awadh and was an eye witness to many developments that took place there and he writes that you know now the hindus have started paying bribes to the people in charge of the babri masjid and have started worshiping inside the masjid also so all the evidence that we have the literary accounts of arabic persian and written in arabic persian and urdu say that it was a temple that was destroyed and masjid was built on that and this last particular text also says that the hindus have bribed the officials government officials muslim government officials and have now started worshiping in uh, babri masjid also then what are the other references that we have in persian we have abul fazl the official historian of akbar he says that ayodhya is very sacred land because lord ram was born there and and ram nawmi at a ram nawmi lots and lots of people go to pay their homage at ayodhya so this is another source written in persian there is one more interesting evidence in 1600 akbar had given six bighas of land to hanuman tila for some construction work 100 years later that grant of akbar had to be renewed so in 1723 all the documents were checked and the mughal ruler at that time said the grant should be renewed so the scribe scribe means somebody has to write that renewal grant 
So that scribe says that this grant which was given by Akbar in 1600 is now being renewed in 1723 and I, the scribe, am writing this from the Janam Bhumi of Ram. So the scribe who is writing this document in Persian in 1723 also says that I am writing this from the Janam Bhumi of Ram. So what I have said so far is that uh, no work in Arabic, Persian or Urdu says that Babri Masjid was built on vacant land. And we have Persian authorities like Abul Fazl and the scribe saying that Ayodhya is sacred because it is the birthplace of Ram. So that is being acknowledged. Now exactly what is happening at that site? We have two European accounts. The first is written by William Finch who came to Ayodhya within 80 years of the demolition of the Mandir. And William Finch says that you know uh, Hindus come over here, they go to the Saryu river, they take a dip over there and then Brahmins come, the Brahmins are there and they record the names of all the pilgrims who have come. William Finch does not talk about Muslim presence there, he does not talk about Namaz there. He just talks about Hindus over there. The second account is a Jesuit father, Joseph Tiffenthaler. Joseph Tiffenthaler was an extraordinary man who lived in India for 40 years. He travelled over large parts of India and he wrote very, very valuable accounts on the geography and so many other things about India. He stayed in Ayodhya in Avad for about 7-8 years. And his book has got even detailed drawings of the buildings that he saw at Ayodhya. Now, he says that, you know, I have been to this place and the Hindus have constructed a Bedi. A Bedi or a Vedi is a cradle, palna, which is kept in so he says that in this complex where I went, the Hindus have constructed a vidhi and they do parikrama around it. And at the time of Ram Nomi, so many people come to celebrate the birth of Ram. But this Joseph Tiffenthaler also does not mention any Muslims over there and does not mention namaz. So, the first question that I want to ask is that are we to assume that Babur or his general came there, demolished the temple, constructed the mosque and left because there was no local Muslim population to use that mosque. So, it was just to appropriate that site. I hope you got my point that just destroy the temple even if there is no uh, Muslim population locally to actually use it, but you have occupied that site. So, it is possible because two eyewitness accounts, which are genuine eyewitness accounts, we cannot challenge the genuineness of these accounts. So, they refer to Hindus over there, but they do not refer to Muslims at that site. So, this is a possibility. Now, to come to the dispute at Ayodhya. We are very fortunate that in the case of Ayodhya, 
the dispute from 1822 is recorded in the district courts. So, the first uh, evidence in the district court is a note which is submitted by a court offic uh, official Hafizullah. He submits a note to the Fezaban district court in which he says that Babri Masjid was built after destroying the Ram temple and it is built next to Sita Ki Rasoi. So, it mentions Ram temple and it mentions Sita Ki Rasoi. This is a court official submitting a note in the Fezabad High Court. Now, in 1855, something very interesting happens. The British resident, he writes a letter to the Nawab of Awadh because the Nawab is still there, he has not been dethroned, that happens only after the revolt of 1857. So, he writes to the Nawab of Awadh saying that, you know, there is a Sunni leader, Gulam Hussain is his name, I think. Let me just check. Yes, Gulam Hussain. And he has collected a force and he is planning to attack Hanuman Gadi. And he tells the Nawab of Awadh, please stop him. Send some reinforcements so his attack on Hanuman Gadi can stop. The Nawab does not do anything and a small fight takes place. Then in July, a much more serious skirmish takes place. Gulam Hussain and his group, they attack Hanuman Gadi and the Hindus at Hanuman Gadi, they fight to prevent the attack on Hanuman Gadi and 70 Muslims are killed in that attack. Now, why do the Muslims attack Hanuman Gadi? Because they say that there is a mosque inside, there was a mosque in Hanuman Gadi, there is a mosque inside Hanuman Gadi and we should be handed over Hanuman Gadi. So, this second uh, fight takes place in which 70 Muslims are killed. After this, the British resident, he sends two bonds to the Awadh Nawab. Now, these two bonds, he had got, he had secured these bonds from the Bairagis who controlled Hanuman Gadi. In the first bond, the Bairagis said that we have no enmity with the Muslims, we have feelings of friendship towards them and in spite of the attack on us, we will continue to behave in the same friendly manner that we used to uh, behave with them in the past. In the second bond, they say that if an independent inquiry shows that there was a masjid inside Hanuman Gadi, we will immediately hand over the whole premises to them and not fight about it at all. Then they say that the Nawab of Awadh, your ancestor, had given us land in Hanuman Gadi, but he never would have given it if there was a masjid over here. And he never mentioned that there is a masjid. And they attach copies of the order which the previous Nawabs had given. So, now the Nawab of Awadh 
he does not know what to do. So he says, let us have a compromise and the compromise is that we build a masjid next to Hanuman Gadi. So the Mahans of Hanuman Gadi say this is not acceptable to us. And an independent committee that had been set up also comes to the conclusion that there had never been a masjid in Hanuman Gadi. Now, when this report of the independent committee is made public, the, the jihadis, the jihadi forces, they are very angry and a new leader comes to the fore, Amir Ali. He gathers a large force to attack Hanuman Gadi. The British try to stop him, to reason with him, he does not agree. So, before he can attack Ayodhya, they kill him. So, this is the first armed conflict in the city of Ayodhya that is recorded in 1855. About a decade and a half later, the British are already in control. So, the first settlement officer it is a person called Patrick Carnegie. Patrick Carnegie writes a report in which he says, that till the dispute broke out in 1855, the Hindus had free access to the masjid and after the dispute broke out, the British created a railing and the Muslims were allowed to pray inside the mosque and the Hindus were given the open space within the complex but outside the mosque. And subsequently, all British administrators reiterated this position. So, the Allahabad High Court, when it was hearing this case, it said this means that till 1855, Hindus had free access to the masjid. They could pray inside the masjid and they could pray in the complex where they already had Ramchabutra or what is called Bedi, Sita Ki Rasoi and these structures. So, now this is up till 1855. And now the story gets really interesting because we come to the actual masjid and the conflict over it. Now, this is very interesting because every stage of the conflict and the contest between the Mahans of the Janamstan and the superintendent of Babri Masjid is recorded in the Faizabad district court. All these papers are there. And when the Ayodhya, uh, when the Allahabad High Court was hearing this case, then all these documents were handed over to the Allahabad High Court. So, what is the first? The first is a report dated 28th November 1858. This is an FIR which is filed by the Thanedar of Awadh. The Thanedar of Awadh files a report that 25 Sikhs, Nihang Sikhs have entered Babri Masjid and they have started Havan and Puja over there. Two days later, that is on 30th November 1858, the superintendent of Babri Masjid files a complaint. The same complaint, he says that 25 Sikhs have entered and that Inside the Babri Masjid, they have started Havan and Puja 
and with charcoal koila they have written ram ram all over the walls of the masjid and he says that outside the masjid but within the complex janam sthan is there and the hindus had been coming for such a long time and worshiping at the janam sthan but now they have entered the masjid and they are worshiping over there also so again the alabad high court regarded this document as very important because it said because the paper is still there now the doc that the uh, the case that he filed it's there it was presented to the alabad high court so the alabad high court said this is a very very important document because it's the first individual voice that we are hearing from ayodhya and this voice is saying that the hindus are inside the complex inside the masjid and it is saying that they were outside in any case so that means at one point in time hindus had free run of babri masjid after that uh, it is some weeks before the thanedar is able to throw out the six from inside the babri masjid i will just refer to some other cases which are very important there is an application by the superintendent in 1860 and in this application he says that you know the chabutra that has been constructed inside babri masjid should be demolished he is asking the british that means they were building whenever they wanted to build and then he says that you know whenever the maulvi gives the call for namaz azan then the opposite side they start blowing conch shells so you can see the tensions and this is important to note because left historians have said that the hindu muslim tensions at ayodhya were engineered by the british as part of their policy of divide and rule but here we are hearing voices of the actual people involved there is no british it is a fight between the superintendents of babri masjid and the mahants so he is saying that they start uh, blowing the conch that means they were so conscious of the desire that we must have this place back you know so this is a way of expressing your voice you know you cannot do anything more but you are helpless so that when they start the azan then you blow the conch that's pro- probably all that you can do then in uh, 1866 there is another complaint in which the superintendent of babri masjid says that you know these mahants they have constructed a kothri inside the complex in a very illegal manner and what is the intention of the kothri because they want to use that kothri to place idols inside so he tells the british that uh, you must please do something to help us as it is he says we are able to continue over here only because of your help because we are all the time being harassed by the priests of the janmasthan then in uh, 1877 we have a complaint and this time the superintendent of babri masjid is saying that 5 years ago we complained to you british that charan paduka the footsteps please they have been put there illegally please remove them and you've not done anything 
and he says why have you not done anything i can understand because you are not able to issue the summons to the mahants of the janamsthan because whenever you are about to come they go underground so they say that you know for 5 years this order has not been served on them and this uh, worship is continuing and then this then he says that you know now they have also added a chula inside inside the complex so they said there was a small chula but now they have made a big chula so now we have evidence of chabutra kothdi uh you know this uh, chula so that means that there is a constant tussle there is never any peace in that site and it shows how determined sections of the hindu community were not to surrender their claims to that site and these are things you know which normally we don't come to hear or know about in the discourse that is presented in the electronic media and the print media because all the evidence that we have is actually so much in favor of one party that it seems that you know even i sometimes feel that you know how is there nothing for the other side it's all one sided because that's the way it is then in 1877 the deputy commissioner of faizabad he tells the court that i have constructed one other passageway because at the time of ram navmi the rush of pilgrims is so much that we need to have one extra gate to accommodate the rush of pilgrims so that means that the hindu community was also not willing to keep quiet or to stay back they were taking the risk and the and you know going to that premises and actually doing parikrama and worshiping over there then the next complaint is very very interesting it is dated 1882 again it is the superintendent of babri masjid who is complaining to the british and what does he say he says at the time of ram navmi and kartik mela it is the practice that we allow shops to be set up inside the premises which will sell you know prashad flowers etc and the rule has been that whatever the sale is made we will divide the thing 50-50 between the mahants and the superintendents of papri masjid but this time he says the mahants have changed the ratio of the you know sharing of the proceeds and you please restore the old ratio so the faizabad uh, district court they say we cannot change the ratio because you have admitted that the whole complex is not yours it's not in your possession and you this also means that during those days there was no namaz being offered because you cannot have you know a mela and celebrations of ram's birthday that means that there was no namaz in these days these days also so this is then in 1885 one of the mahants of uh, janamsthan he writes a letter to the british that this uh, ram chabutra that i have it measures 21 feet by 17 feet and he says you know there is no shed over it it's just open 
and in the summer, in the rainy season and in winter, me and my fellow Mahans, we face great difficulty because we are exposed to the weather all the time. Imagine, so, but they don't give up. So he says, can we construct a small temple on this area that is already in my possession? This case, this appeal of the Mahant is heard by three levels of the British judiciary. All of them say the Mahant has a very strong case. The area is in his possession and he is exposed to the elements all the time. But they say that we cannot allow construction of anything in this area because it is a very sensitive issue and we cannot disturb the status quo. We realize the injury that was caused to the Hindus 350 years ago, but there is nothing that we can do. Now in 1885, an Amin commission was set up and this commission showed that Thita Rasoi, Chabutra, Janamsthan, Chappar were all situated in the boundary wall of the Babri Masjid, but just outside the boundary wall, there was a deep depression all along the boundary wall. That was the depression of the footprints of pilgrims who had been coming all these centuries. So, Parikrima. That means the entire complex was sacred land for the Hindus. Now, in 1912, uh, riots break out in Ayodhya and Faizabad on the issue of cow slaughter. So, the chief secretary writes to the secretary of the government of India and in that letter he says that one reason for the friction between the two communities is the mosque that Babur built at Ayodhya. So, this is the British also saying this. Then the lieutenant governor, he visits Fezabad in 1915 and he reports, that, re that report is in the National Archives. He says it is very difficult for an outsider to understand the depth of the sentiment for this area among the Hindus. In 1934, riots break out again because of the issue of cow slaughter in Shah Jahanpur. And uh, in this 1934 riots, uh, considerable damage is done to Babri Masjid. Uh, and uh, the British, in an attempt to show fair play, they impose a penalty of 85,000 rupees on the Hindu community to pay for the cost of the damage done to Babri Masjid. Now, in 1943, the superintendent of Babri Masjid writes to the Sunni Waqf board and in this letter, this is 1943, and in this letter, he says that now it is very difficult to offer namaz at Babri Masjid. And in fact, Babri Masjid, we open it only on Friday. It is cleaned just before the Friday namaz. We bring the mat from outside because nothing is safe over there. And when the namaz is over, we lock up the place and go away. So this is in 1943 where the superintendent of Babri Masjid is writing to the secretary of the Sunni Waqf board. And after that, the inspector of Waqf, he prepares two reports in 1948. 
in both those reports he says that muslims are afraid to go to babri masjid because the people surrounding that babri masjid they throw stones as uh, shoes at them and they harass them so only with difficulty one namaz a week is offered this is in 1948 these are all muslim voices that i am quoting then so this is one set of documents but there are other documents also you know uh, the british they prepared revenue reports that means every area what is the revenue due who has to pay for that revenue that was a systematic report done for every area for babri masjid the first settlement report was done in 1861 and after that the settlement report is done uh, revised every 10 or 15 years depending on the situation in the revenue uh, reports from 1861 onwards for village ramkot there is no mention of babri masjid babri masjid does not get mentioned in the revenue records of the british from 1861 onwards the land that land is shown as government land and the mahens are shown as the under proprietors this situation is not challenged all the years of british rule in india this because these reports are made public but nobody from babri masjid challenges this report and the subsequent reports which show the land as government land and the under proprietors as the mahens but what is interesting is that at some point i do not know when who did it but somebody tampers with the records so wherever janam sthan is written somebody has added and babri masjid how can you make out because the ink color is different the nib thickness is different and the ink is you know the handwriting is different and it's not possible for anyone to go and make some additions in the government records they are not just lying on the table that you can walk in and make the dis so somebody has calculatedly allowed this to happen when and how we don't know and the more interesting thing is that another set of these documents kept at the other office did not have these changes so this is a very uh, clear case of attempting to manipulate the evidence then there is another in 1944 the government of the united provinces it published a list of all the mosques masjids in the united provinces the list named the building the year it was constructed who constructed it and the last column was the waqf that was created for the maintenance of the building because every building every masjid will require maintenance you know some money for the maintenance so it's always the case that you create a waqf the income from that waqf will be used to maintain the building in the case of babri masjid column 4 was left vacant the name of the ruler is given babar the year is given 1528 but where is the waqf that is not given so the allahabad high court asked the pro uh, babri 
parties that how do you explain that there is this column is blank and the pro babri parties could not give any explanation of why this column was left blank so the allahabad high court said that is a major weakness in your argument where you cannot show a waqf that has been created for this building so again these questions arise that was it just demolish the temple build a mosque what happened to that mosque between the time that babar built it and 1822 when we first know that it was there there is no evidence so these are uh, some of the things that really need to be uh, taken note of then uh, soon after independence this is not known to many of us the hindu public made a demand for the construction of a grand temple at ayodhya and this representation was made to the up government and the up government forwarded to the district authorities in ayodhya and they said we have no problem because the sentiment of the community is that a temple should be made and we have no problem to that but in 1949 Uh, December twenty third, the icon of Ram Lalla was placed in Babri Masjid. Again, it is important that no Muslim came to file an FIR. No Muslim came to say that my right to namaz has been inter interrupted. Again, it the FIR was filed by a policeman. Now, this placement does not seem to have created much. consternation in the muslim community because we don't hear any muslim voices either protesting or saying that we have the right to namaz we don't hear anything but it had great uh, repercussions or reverberations in the national capital pandit jawarlal nehru uh, wrote to the up chief minister saying that it can have a great adverse impact on kashmir and our relations with pakistan i cannot understand what was the link but he wrote this letter and then there was a serious attempt to change the situation so the commissioner of faizabad he suggests to the deputy commissioner k k nayar that let us quietly remove the idol and k k nayar writes to Ch- chief secretary and to the chief minister that i am totally against this only a person who has no idea of the depth of the hindu emotions on this issue can suggest this and he said in any case i will not be able to find anyone in ayodhya any priest who will be party to this so he said that i suggest another way out and that is continue the worship of the ram lalla idol but deny access to that area to both the communities and let the court decide so that is the way it happened but it is very very officially on record that a plan was thought of to remove the ramlalla idol from that place and it was rejected by a person called kk nayar now to continue the story 
1992 babri masjid was demolished when the masjid was demolished from the walls of the masjid an inscription 5 feet by 2 feet fell to the ground we call this inscription the vishnu hari inscription this inscription uh, it was giving the history of the temple so the alabad high court asked the epigraphy department of asi to decipher this inscription and present its reading of the inscription to the court so this inscription was deciphered by kv ramesh who was the chief epigraphist of the archaeological survey of india he provided the court with the reading of that inscription verse wise that reading was accepted by the alabad high court and is now the official reading of this vishnu hari inscription this vishnu hari inscription tells us that the temple was built by this king at this date and gives all the details so one would imagine that when this inscription is there now all the dispute on ayodhya should be over because the left historians have been saying that babri masjid was built on vacant land now an inscription has come from the walls of the babri masjid but this was not enough for the left historians and they mounted a campaign against this vishnu hari inscription they said that this vishnu hari inscription did not fall from babri masjid it was planted there at the time of demolition now it is very difficult to understand how an inscription could have been planted there when there were thousands and lakhs of people at that site and when the media national and international was there in full force and it was a big inscription but they said this has been planted from outside then the question was asked where has it come from so professor hirfan habib he said that this inscription came from a private collection but we have no record of anyone having such a big inscription then 3 4 years later he changed his line and he said that this inscription was actually stolen from lucknow museum and it was planted over there so till now we could not let me finish till now we could not refute irfan habib we could say that the inscription has fallen but none of us had seen the, the inscription that he said was stolen from lucknow museum now the inscription that he said was stolen from lucknow museum is called the treta ka thakur inscription there was another temple in ayodhya which was destroyed by aurangzeb which was called the treta ka thakur temple that temple also had an inscription which was recovered by the british and kept first in fezabad museum and later sent to lucknow museum now last year there is a gentleman called kishor kunal he was officer on special duty under vp singh and chandrashekhar officer on special duty in charge of ayodhya so he had the clout and he went to lucknow museum and got a photograph of the trita ka thakur inscription which has been published for the first time which i have reproduced from his thing in my book 
Now, this Tretaka Thakur inscription is totally different from the Vishnu Hari inscription. So, the picture has been published by him and he also saw the entry record of the Lucknow Museum. The entry record of the Lucknow Museum described this Tretaka Thakur inscription which was very different from the Vishnu Hari inscription. So, one would imagine that this kind of exposure would embarrass the left historians, but you know they their strategies is that if something does not suit you, you ignore it. So, they have just not taken cognizance of this inscription which shows how they were deceiving the country and preventing a settlement and understanding between the two communities for two decades they have been doing this and they have now not reacted to the <laughs> publication of this. Now, since none of these things was settling the dispute, finally in 2003, the Allahabad High Court told the Archaeological Survey of India to please excavate at that site <coughs> to see if there was a temple beneath Papri Masjid. The Allahabad High Court laid down very strict instructions for the ASI. It said that every day representatives from the Babri Masjid Action Committee and the Ram Janam Bhumi group, they should be present at the site. Whatever you record, find every day should be recorded in a register which should be signed by both the parties. So, the ASI followed these rules and you all know that it found continuous occupation of that site from the second millennium BC. That site was always a sacred site. It was never used for habitational purposes. What did they find there? Uh, in, I would not go to the earlier uh, portions, but I will just come to the circular shrine that they found in the post Gupta period. It was probably some kind of shivling was worshipped over there and the pranal from where the water will fall was still over there. Then they found that in the 10th century, a huge temple was built at that site. Now, that temple according to the ASI was short lived. It did not survive for very long. Now, why did it not survive for very long? It is possible that it was destroyed because we have the case of Somnath where the temple is destroyed again and again. So, was this 10th, 11th century temple destroyed? It is very likely because the Turks were active in that area at this time. Then on the ruins of this temple, a big temple was built in the 12th century. That temple survived till the 16th century when it was demolished to make way for Babri Masjid. Babri Masjid had no foundations. It was built just on top of the walls of the temple. This should have been finally settling the issue. But then the left historians, they carried out a campaign against the ASI on this issue also. Now, I want to conclude my talk by giving you some idea of what these left historians said in court. Because what they said in court was so atrocious 
that it is really amazing that anyone takes these people seriously even today. There was an agreement among the left historians and archaeologists that the big four, that is Arish Sharma, D.N. Jha, Romila Thapar and Irfan Habib, they will not themselves uh, they will not present themselves in court, but they will send their colleagues and students to make statements in court. So, and you, can you imagine the close group they were? One of the persons who gave statements in court was Supriya Verma. She had done her PhD under Shirin Ratnagar, who also went to court. Suvira Jaiswal's Work was done under Arish Sharma, another left historian. R. Thakran was a student of Suraj Bhan. Sitaram Roy was a pupil of Arish Sharma. And S.C. Mishra did his PhD under D.N. Chah. So, it was just a close group. And just to give you some hilarious accounts of what happened in court. Suvira Jaiswal, she was a professor at JNU. And she said in court that she was an expert in ancient Indian history and had come to give evidence in court as a specialist on ancient Indian history. She said she had not studied whether Muslim rulers constructed mosques after destroying temples. Nor had she read any report on the subject. She said she was giving a statement on oath regarding Babri mosque without any probe and on the basis of her knowledge. She said actually she was giving the statement on the basis of her opinion, not knowledge, opinion. And she says she has not read the Babarnama. According to her knowledge, no evidence was found that could indicate that Babri Masjid was built after demolishing the Ram Temple. She says no evidence was found. And she said, I did not study the history of the Babar Mosque. Whatever knowledge I gained with, this, with respect to the disputed site was on the basis of newspapers and what others told me. Uh, others told me, I mean the left historians report to the nation. I along with my companions, please listen to this, I along with my companions published a pamphlet entitled Rajnitik Durupyog Babri Masjid Janambhumi Vivad. I prepared this pamphlet from news published in newspapers and after discussions with the medieval expert in my department. The court expressed surprise that in this particular case, considering the sensitivity of the dispute, persons claiming to be experts were making statements without proper investigation, research or study. Instead of helping to create a cordial atmosphere, such actions tended to create more complications, conflict and controversy. This is what the court had to say about her. She further said, it is correct that in her book, she had written that by the 1st, 2nd century AD, Ram was recognized as an incarnation of Vishnu. That means before the controversy broke out, she did a PhD in which she said, Ram was recognized by the 1st, 2nd century AD as an incarnation of Vishnu. And now the 18th scholars, left scholars are saying Ram worship was an 18th, 19th century phenomena, which was against her research, which she was forced to 
uh, admit. Another person is S.C. Mishra who teaches in Delhi University. I know it is not good to name people like this, but I think the time has come that we should uh, not be so polite about everything. So, he did his graduation and post graduation from Allahabad University. In BA, his subjects were history, philosophy, Sanskrit and in MA, ancient history. He said he had done deep study about the Babri mosque. As per his studies, the mosque was built by Mir Baki and that no destruction of any kind had taken place in its construction. According to his studies, there was no evidence of the existence of a temple below Babri Masjid. He said, I have discovered the birthplace of Ram. That birthplace is between Ayodhya Brahmkund and Rishi Mochan Ghat. Now, he, he gave some idea of his knowledge of history. He said that Prithviraj Chauhan was the king of Ghazni. He said in court that Prithviraj Chauhan was the king of Ghazni and he said Muhammad Ghori was the king of the adjoining area. And he said, I have heard of Jazia, but at the moment I cannot remember why it was levied. <laughs> and I do not think it was levied only on the Hindus. This is in quote a teacher who is teaching history at Delhi University. And then he says, it is wrong to say that Aurangzeb built the Gyan Vyapi mosque after demolishing half of the Vishwanath mosque. That half we already see the back of the Gyan Vapi mosque, that temple is there if anyone has been there. So, this is, he says, I have read many books written from the time of Babar Nama to 1989. I have read many books from the time Babar Nama was written till 1989 regarding the construction of Babri mosque. I do not remember the name of any book now. Alright, this is what he says. What did the court say? The court said his statements fail to inspire confidence and lack independent, fair and impartial opinion. This is what the court said. Shireen Musvi. She did her uh, BSc and MSc from Lucknow University and later MA in history as a private student from AMU and she did her PhD from there also. She said, during my studies, I have not come across such evidence or proof of medieval period to suggest that Babri mosque had been built by destroying a temple. There was an inscription Babri mosque divided into three parts and this is what she says and the court said that this statement that the inscription was in three parts itself shows that she has no knowledge at all of the subject. Uh, there is more that I do not think I would like to embarrass her. Then there is Sushil Srivastava. He did his BA and MA from Allahabad University in History and Political Science. He completed his PhD after 11 years at a time when Mulayam Singh was the Chief Minister. You can draw your conclusions. Uh, so, he said, from the research carried out by me, I found no evidence regarding the disputed site to suggest that a mosque was built after demolishing a temple. Then please listen to this. Neither I can read or write Persian. I can also not read Arabic language nor can I write it. I have no sound knowledge of Sanskrit. It is correct that my father-in-law helped me in reading and writing uh, the book and in interpreting the Persian 
language. And he says, I cannot say whether the inscriptions of the Babri mosque were in Persian or Arabic. I have not studied the science of calligraphy. I have not studied the subject of epigraphy. And he says in my book, I have mentioned books which I have actually not read. And you know, then there are people like Suraj Bhan. He says that uh, I am an MA in Sanskrit language. I cannot speak Sanskrit since I have not used it. Since I have not used it for quite some time, I face difficulty in reading it and also in following it. I can only remember that ancient India and early medieval India were not in my course of study and they went as experts. I do not, I did not try to find out what is written in the Ramayana by Tulsi Das. I cannot tell when Indus Valley civilization was discovered. I did not, I am not a specialist in epigraphy and numismatics. I am not a geologist. I am not a student of history. I am not a student, I am not a specialist in architecture. I am not a specialist in sculpture. Epigraphy is also not my field. So, you know, I can go on, but I think that uh, last, I will just give you one more, D. Mandal. He was also very active. He says, I have never visited Ayodhya. I do not have any specific knowledge of the history of Babar's reign. Whatever little knowledge I have about Babar is only that Babar was a ruler of the 16th century. Except for this, I have no knowledge of Babar. Then he says, the communist party issues a red card and I am its holder. It is true that I have no faith in religion. I have no degree or diploma in archaeology. I have acquired knowledge of archaeology. So, it goes on. The thing uh, that has to be noted is that none of these people has is shown to have any expertise, but they were just motivated by their bias that they have to make statements against the temple and they went to any extent to ridicule the whole movement just because they wanted the pro-Babri group to win. Now, as things stand today, the left historians are hoping that the Supreme Court will overturn the verdict of the Allahabad High Court and rule in favor of the masjid, in favor of the masjid, because that is now their last hope. But it is difficult to uh, understand how the Supreme Court can overturn the judgment of the Allahabad High Court. Because there is not one evidence that we can find which shows continued Muslim occupation of that site. Whereas, all the evidence that we have shows continued Hindu presence. There is no evidence which shows that Hindus were missing from that site for a particular period. Then the point is that the Muslims, they never filed a case in 1949 when the idols were placed inside. And they filed a case just five days before the 12th anniversary of the placement of the idols in the masjid. 
if they had filed the case 5 years later, 5 days later, they would have no case because there is a time limit. Property dispute has to be filed within 12 years. For 12 years, they kept quiet and just 5 days before that, they filed the case. So, they have actually no attachment to that site and we all know and even the courts in pre-independent and independent India have said that namaz can be offered anywhere. The mosque is not a sacred place. But Hindu worship is centered around sacred sites and sacred spaces. Now, when all these things went against the Babri group, then the left historians came up with the last trump card. That was, what is the proof that Ram was born at that exact spot? They have started saying this, what is the proof? The courts in, from the British period onwards, they have said that it is not the duty of the courts to examine or to subject the belief of the people to scientific or judicial scrutiny. The courts only have to take note of the fact that millions believe it so. So, the Allahabad High Court said, we are giving the space under the central tomb to the temple group because millions believe that is the birthplace of Ram. So, I cannot understand uh, what the Supreme Court can do to overturn the verdict of the High Court. But as concerned citizens, I feel that what we can do is to popularize the weakness of the Babri case and the duplicitous role that some academics have played for 20 years. Because there is an archaeologist called K.K. Mohammed. He was with the ASI and he has written his autobiography. Very recently, his autobiography has come out. And in that, he says, there was a very serious thinking among Muslims that let us hand over this site to the Hindus because it means so much to them. And it doesn't mean much to us. He said, at that moment, left historians entered the fray and they convinced the Babri group that you have a very strong case and we will fight your case. And the intervention of the left historians made the Babri group change its mind and say, yes, we will fight it. So, this is a very painful case, case of academics doing such harm to the amity between communities, to the social fabric of this country. And you know, Ayodhya has been one issue which has caused so much tension between communities for the last two, three decades. So, uh, I can only end by saying that academics should be very conscious of their responsibility to society. It is important for them to present facts as they are and not to deliberately distort them. And now when every distortion of theirs has come to light and been proven, they owe at least an apology to the country. Thank you.